This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to a special edition of Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. The Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused what people consider to be the greatest humanitarian crisis in Europe since the Second World War. Today, we are chatting about what's happening on the ground in Ukraine. I am very privileged to have Olga Krakovna with me. Through her chain of trust, she's raising money to send directly to the people of Ukraine to help them wage this war and deal with the sick and the elderly. Please welcome the very brave, the incredible Olga Krakovna. I am chatting with a woman who I fell in love with, actually, the first moment that I spoke to her over the phone, Olga Krakovna. And Olga is from the Ukraine a long time ago now. So Olga came to Canada in 2001, holding the hand of your eight-year-old daughter and with a cart of four pieces of luggage. And you came to Canada to start a better life for you and for your daughter. Welcome, Olga. Thank you so much. I love being here. Many people often ask, do you like it in Canada? And I I say, yes, I'm still here. I love it. I brought my family here. It's my second motherland. It is that for so many people, and I'm so thrilled that we could chat with you today. The reason we started to talk was because through a mutual friend of ours, I discovered that you were doing some incredible things for the people of Ukraine. And I wanted the world to understand how brave this is, but I also wanted the world to help you in any way that we possibly can. And we have listeners all over the world, so that's really exciting for me. That is exciting. Let's start back, if you don't mind, Olga, let's start back with... I'm a storyteller. I love to hear stories, and so does the audience. When you first came here, let's just talk about how that was for you and how you got settled in and started off your life here in Canada. Yes, I I came here thinking that my experience back in Ukraine would be very, very welcome because I've been in telecom and Rogers was just launching the same service we've already had. So I came here and... uh, Rogers told me that you're too new of the boat, too fresh of the boat, come when you have Canadian experience. And then 
My daughter joined uh, school and right away the strike of uh, school workers have started. So I spent all my money on babysitters <laughs> and I spent uh, a lot of time on my daughter saying, why do I need a babysitter? I'm already eight years old. <laughs> so I found three jobs. I got three job offers. It was, I came when uh, Nortel fell, if you remember. It was when all the uh, companies fell and whoever wanted to hire me couldn't hire me anymore. Uh, but I got three job offers in one day. <laughs> And one of them was for Bell Canada, and I've been working for Bell for the next 11 years. Um, launching services, you know, one of the services I've launched, uh, it's IPTV, um, Bell, Bell, Bell TV uh, over IP. And so launch satellites, uh, we've done a lot of exciting things at Bell. And that was my um, basically ticket to, to a normal Canadian life with all the friends and colleagues in Canada, with my daughter being settled at school. Um, and then my family joined me, uh, my mom and my sister. Um, my sister is a talented, was a talented child, and she is. Um, she went to Harvard for free. Uh, she was presenting Canada. Yeah, two years after she came to Canada, she was representing Canada at the World Olympiad in mathematics. So... First year was very difficult, but we've settled really well. First year, everything was different. I couldn't understand. I didn't. I couldn't find a bottle of beer because I didn't expect beer to be sold in a different store than a supermarket. And well, we're slowly <laughs> coming around now, like so many centuries later, we're finally coming into the world of what it should have been all the way along. So, just out of interest, then, Olga, how long did it take you? fresh off the boat, as Rogers said, <laughs> to get that job offer and accept it from Bell? I actually came, I already had a job offer, but the company couldn't hire me because of uh, this market I issue and the dot-com boom finishing. Uh, but it took me three months, and that exactly was the time when I spent all my money I brought with me. So it was a really good time to start working. <laughs> And where did where did you live? How did how did you live? Did, were you able to find a spot for you and your daughter to live just that was comfortable, close to Belle, close to the school for her? Yeah, my friend rented a room for me. We lived at Jane and Finch. And at that time we didn't know that Jane and Finch could potentially have some reputation. We actually felt pretty safe out there, having come from Kiev. And only later when we moved out and we went to a different school and my daughter went to a gifted school and, you know, we, we heard that Jane and Finch was not such a great place to live. But when we lived there, we didn't feel it. Well, that's great to know. And yeah. did, you have, did you have full English when you arrived in Canada and did your daughter? Well, I thought I knew English. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I was realistic. <laughs> I knew technical English on which I spoke at work. Um, I knew to read technical documentation. I was still wondering, you know, how do you call one highway four hundred another four hundred one, not four hundred and one? So you moved from Jane and Finch, and approximately what year are we talking now? Two thousand and three. Okay, yeah. fantastic. And you brought over your mom, whose name is Nina, and you brought over your sister who went to Harvard for free and she competed, excuse me, as a mathlete, like an athlete, mathematician. Yeah. Is your sister still, is your sister and your mom are still in Canada? 
My mom is in Canada, yes. She's in Toronto. My sister, she accepted offer with uh, Google DeepMind in England. She lives oh, in London. Uh, her and her husband both work for Google DeepMind and they are artificial intelligence security specialists. She, oh. She's heading Artificial Intelligence Institute and um, she's protecting us from potential dangers of artificial intelligence. Should it go wrong? <laughs> you guys are some smart, smart girls. So I, um, Olga, understand that you first became involved, a lot of Ukrainian women first became involved when you helped in 2014 and 2015 when Putin took Crimea and pieces of Lugansk and Donetsk. How do I say that? Donetsk. Donetsk. Mm -hmm. And you, what did you do? So this was the first step in to say, now I'm in Canada. It's 2014-15. There, this is happening and and what did you do then in terms of trying to support your your friends, your family, the people of Ukraine? To be quite honest, all this 14 years that I spent in Canada, I only went, went back once. I've been busy building my career. I've been busy raising my daughter, who was a pretty rebellious teenager. So when when I heard about it, when I saw it, I first thing I started doing, I started speaking Ukrainian again. I mean, it was very important because, um, you know, I am a mix. I'm a mix. My mom is Russian. My father is Ukrainian. So I have like Russian, Jewish, Ukrainian roots in me. And my language is Russian. But when this happened, there was a big discourse between the Russian-speaking citizens in Canada, many of them, and Ukrainian speaking, and every one of us had to pick a side. And I picked a side, right? I had to pick a side. It was my country. It was unfair that was happening. There were people who actually went there with their bare hands to stop this aggression. I knew people who went there. They were normal people like you and I. In a normal time. And so first thing I started doing, I started speaking Ukrainian again. And then I started following what is happening there because the information was coming from both sides. Absolutely. Like the same event was interpreted two different ways. And then I started reading a couple of bloggers. There is a blogger called Olena Stepova. She was living there and she described this through the prism of humor and everything. She described what was happening it wasn't pretty. And so I started helping. But I had no experience in, I, I, I'm too proud to ask people for money. I would never do this. So I just was sending money to Ukraine. And so did many, many other Ukrainian women here. Thousands. Yeah. So fast forward now to what's happening in Ukraine now and the way that we became connected. Can you, Olga, with the people that you're in touch with in the Ukraine now that are living through this, I've heard it described as the Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused the greatest humanitarian crisis in Europe since the Second World War. These are brilliant journalists, brilliant reporters who are quoting these things. What are you hearing personally right now from people that you're in touch with? Everybody is in disbelief that such thing can happen. 
in Europe in the middle of the 21st century. People are asking questions. They're saying, my, my friend's house was bombed. So one of the women we're sending money to, her son is only guilty of wanting to sleep in his own bed. He slept in his own bed. He was killed in his own bed, two-year-old. Her name is Irina Spak, and the, the door fell on her and the baby in another room, and that's how she only ended up in a hospital. And when you talk to this person, she says, what am I, a military object? I'm not a military object. I'm not uh, dangerous. There is a kindergarten and a school by my house. So people are in disbelief. People are angry. But what I really saw Ukrainian do, Ukrainians do in 2014, they just do not give up. They just fight. And normal people like my friend, my friend's cousin had a friend. Her name was Nastya. Nastya is 26 years old, was 26 years old. She was a volunteer who could not leave animals alone in the shelter. So she grabbed her car for other men uh, with her, her friends, went into Irpin to pick up the animals and bring them food. Her car was shot at Nastya was dead. She could have been my daughter. She could have been my daughter. We are safe here in Canada. But the stories we hear every day, every day, my aunt, she's 81 years old. She's in Kiev right now, and she cannot go to the subway every time the air raid sirens are sounding. So she's sitting there on the seventh floor and waiting for her fate. It's incredible. I mean, it's we see it on the news. We read about it. It's palpable when you say your friend's little boy was guilty of sleeping in his own bed and he's two years old and now he's gone. And on the seventh floor, 82 years of age, waiting for her fate. I, I, I'm pretty speechless because you're right. These people are not valuable military objects in any, they're human beings living their lives. The Nazis didn't bomb Kharkiv the way the Russians are bombing Kharkiv. The Nazis went into Kharkiv and set up life and uh, repaired the water and, and the gas and whatnot. Right now, people in Kharkiv have no gas, no water, no light, many of them. And think about the bravery of those workers who repair this every day. So every day people are trying to repair gas lines, water lines for people who stayed in the city because not everybody can escape. Especially the elderly. Especially. Especially the elderly. And what happened in Kiev is one of the one of the groups I helped to is a fund. It's called Life Lover. And before the war, it was anti-ageism place. Like they gave opportunity to the elderly to fulfill their dreams, to get a new profession, to get a makeover. But now uh, a lot of caregivers left Kiev. And so volunteers are responsible for grandmas, grandpas who are lonely, alone, who need medications. Their pension is about 40 Canadian dollars a month. Their phone bill is about $5. So when somebody sends to Ukraine $100, these are 20 elderly people who could contact their, who could call for help. They can contact volunteers. They can contact um, 
Maybe they have grandchildren somewhere other in Ukraine. This hundred dollars have never been so valuable to to make somebody's life, you know, possible yeah. and 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 livable. <laughs> it's 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 completely unthinkable. And I have never personally been in a situation like that. So it's hard for me to imagine. But I have been really struck by some of the other countries around when the women, the children, and those elderly that are able to leave are getting off the trains and they're finding strollers and clothing and blankets and food and people that are you know, waiting for the trains to come in and holding up signs saying, I have one bedroom, you can come and stay with me. That, to me, gives me hope around humanity in general. It does. It does. And when I started collecting money to help Ukraine, it was one of my considerations. But, you know, I am a professional in, like, process optimization. To me, there were so many funds helping those people. There were so many people in those areas who opened their homes. These people who left Kiev, Kharkiv, Chernigiv, Mariupol, you know, they they already safe. But the people who stayed there, who have to sit in 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 bunkers. I mean, one thousand children was born in Kiev since twenty fourth of February, all in bunkers. The children hospital, maternity hospital, was bombed three times. Ahmadid. It's. I I decided that those people who have the bravery to be there to hold off this with their bare hands, they need to be enabled. Yes. Oh, they're not asking for help. They're not asking for money or anything. They're just asking for, uh, you know, things to cover themselves, medications. For example, Ukrainian singer Pasha Lee, he was a pop singer. He died saving, he saved nine children. He died because he took off his uh, special bulletproof vest and he covered the children and he got killed. You're talking a pop singer, right? And these are the stories, Olga, that we don't hear that I just needed the world to hear. So let's talk about you and how you're able to get money to the Ukraine. Is it you, Olga, or is it your mom that still maintained a Ukrainian bank account so you could still transfer money over into the Ukraine? You can transfer money to Ukraine to volunteers' personal accounts, no problem, but it's easier when uh, you have like one uh, connection. So my mom went to Ukraine in November. Uh, my dad has died in November. So now I'm saying, thank God my dad has died in November and he doesn't see this because he would have been completely helpless. He he was a cancer patient. Um, yeah. I'm sorry and, for and, your loss. I'm very sorry for your loss, Olga. Thank you. Thank you. And my mom opened a bank account at the time in Ukraine. Uh, and so now it became very easy for me. I can draw money from Visa card with a very big uh, fees, but I can send the money immediately. And a couple of days ago, I tried Swift. Swift works as well, and it's very cheap compared to Visa. 
And also Western Union now sends money for free to Ukraine and PayPal has opened to Ukraine. So we now have all kinds of ways we can send money to Ukraine, which we didn't have in 2014. That's fantastic. So Olga, can you talk to me about, I have three very specific subjects, I guess I'm going to say, that you were helping. The first one is the network of volunteers in Kiev. Can we talk about that one first? How the money is helping this first group? Okay, so I'm helping two different groups in Kiev. One is uh, the Center Life Lover, which is volunteers who help the elderly and the lonely people. Uh, the money help in, in so many different ways. Um, first of all, they um, they use the money for gas, to uh, for the cars, for people who are actually brave enough to go to the zone in conflict and pick up some elderly people or bedridden people and take them to Kiev. Once they are in Kiev, uh, people get uh, food packages, people get visitations. Like one person needed catheter and they found a doctor and a catheter for him to change. Another person needed a wheelchair to just hide in under the stronger wall, you know, during this whole bombing. And she got a wheelchair. All of this comes from the Center Life Lover, which used to be making people's life more fun, but now they're saving people's life. Yeah. The only thing the volunteer told me, the only thing they're asking them, please don't forget about us. Please come back again. Don't leave here alone. Oh, bless their hearts. Going into the area where the bombings and the shootings and the violence is. And actually pick up people. Yeah. Wow. So that is that number one group that you're helping? That's number one group. And then what's the second group then, Olga? So the second group is the two types of groups. uh, I mean, the same type of group, but in two different places. One is in Kiev. Um, Her name is Diana Makarova. In 2014-2015, this woman single-handedly, with the help of people like me and people like better than me who dedicated all of their money to to the cause. She was literally dressing all the military units that asked her for help. She was looking for military boots. She was looking for all the equipment they need because the men literally came to the war in trenches and flip-flops. I'm not joking. I, I read that that you that you sent me before we got on the podcast and I had no idea the Ukrainian military had nothing. Nothing. No. And the the previous president's cabinet, they pretty much stole all the money. So instead of making uniform out of a specific type of fabric that doesn't burn, they bought the cheapest synthetic fabric they could. And so many soldiers got burned in these uniforms. And so we were collecting money. Uh, we were collecting old uniforms from around the world. We were connect, collecting money for generators, for like the list, lists were long, going on and on, because one bulletproof vest cost $1,300, right? One night vision device, good night vision device, cost, 20, co- uh, cost $2,800. So and they had nothing. They had absolutely nothing. I was reading what you sent me, and people were cutting up their leather couches and making gloves and, and, and making anything they could to try to help the military. They were making things, and the whole Ukraine... 
it was palpable. It was a network that helps our boys. And we Ukrainians in Canada, we could not stand and do nothing. So we we were helping the way we could help with some medications that are not available there, with uh, equipment, with money, with support. And that was... That was unbelievable event. And that's why I called it Save a Starfish, because uh, as you read in the story, I, I presented at the Toastmasters at the time, you know, when you see thousands of starfish thrown on a beach uh, by the sea after the storm, you pick one and you throw it back to the water and you make a difference for that one. You made a difference for one. So yes, it looks too big, too unattainable, and too impossible. But bottom line is, Ukraine stopped Putin aggression. Yes, it lost some territories. But yes, it lost the best, the bravest sons who went to defend it. But it was eight years of normal life for everybody else. And now you're doing it again. One of the things I wanted you to chat about, Olga, is how the funds like the Red Cross can take too long. I mean, it's good. Yes. Everything is good. But the process can just take too long for it to make the kind of difference it needs to make. And it's also big. I mean, Red Cross is great for organizing humanitarian corridors and uh, for saving people. I I totally don't discount Red Cross and I want Red Cross to get as much support as they could get. But when you have a real people who call to you from out there and saying, we will do everything. Like, we will protect Kharkiv. We sent our wives and children away. And all we need now is to repurpose this mini truck, put some weapons on it, and make this mobile unit that's going to scare the Russian columns away. These men are ready to do this job. These men are ready to protect their country, the women as well. Uh, there are a lot of uh, medics, uh, doctors who are there on the floor, so that's uh, on the ground. That's one of the causes that we collected money for. I'll tell you later about Kharkiv Hospital number two. These people deserve to be supported, enabled. There are a lot of them, and each one of them is making a difference. I didn't have much knowledge of the Ukraine until, unfortunately, these tragedies horrible tragedies happen. But what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling is a strength, a bravery, a courage, a determination that with their bare hands, they will fight. And there's men and women coming from all over the world that were born in the Ukraine coming back to the Ukraine to fight. I'm, I'm so inspired by that. I, I maybe in my lifetime have never seen a group of people so brave and so proud of the country that they belong to, that they will fight with their bare hands. You know, it all started with the children, because in 2014, it was the kids, the students who went to Maidan and they were protesting and they were shot at. And I remember how many people on Facebook said, is that touching our kids? No way. And people just went to Maidan and they were standing there. And it's not the whole world. If you touch on what 
what is being told in Russia and how easily they send their children to fight and die in Ukraine. Ukraine already killed 15,000 Russian soldiers. These are somebody's children, you know, and nobody is speaking for them and nobody, no mothers are going. I don't know, maybe somebody is going, but I haven't seen too much of resistance to, to this from inside Russia because it's a different mindset that was installed by Putin, I would say. Yeah. And in Ukraine, um, Ukraine was living not perfectly. There was a huge corruption, let's face it. Uh, but Ukraine was going a democratic path. Ukraine actually elected its presidents. And when they, they elected Zelensky, you know what people were saying? He's a comic. You know, at least we will be laughing. <laughs> He's going to make our life fun. <laughs> you know, when Ukrainians elect presidents, they say, well, we should probably elect the same one because he already stole enough. I've you know, never heard that. But, yeah. you know, Zelensky. He's anti-corruption. Amazing speaker. And I thought yes. to myself, maybe being a comedian and being on stage and having a... When he looks at the camera and talks to you, it's like he's only talking to you. And he's using the words. He's using the words of unity yes. in Ukrainian language. Let's do it. We do this. We do that. I noticed this discourse. Like he, he's uniting the nation, knowing that half of the nation wasn't really pro-Zelensky before this war. But now people give money to the army, people listen to Zelensky and his advisor, Aristovich, and they deliver a true value by, by uniting people and by promoting Ukraine's cause and finding help all over the world. So kudos to him. Yes. Let's talk about the hospital, Olga. Let's talk about the hospitals, the medical needs, how the money that we're going to try and help you raise here is helping the doctors, the nurses, the medical supply situation. So with the hospital, uh, we have uh, doctors, uh, Olena and Alexei uh, Dotsenko. They head the hospital. And, and since the 24th of February, they haven't been home. They've been living in a hospital, helping the people and accepting everyone who comes from around the city when the city was bombed. So right now, they don't have too many refugees. They have about 100 patients. They have uh, 35 people from the hospice because hospice was completely bombed and these people needed to go somewhere. So And they, and they accept the wounded. And... The fact that they accept the wounded also bring in an, another level of needs. The, the supplies for, for the wounds, they need devices for artificial ventilation of lungs, not because of COVID, but because of the wounds. And right now, uh, we scoped their need for 15,000 Canadian dollars. 2,000 I already collected. Me and another friends of mine who brought this cost to my uh, attention, we, we are collecting the money now. So who brought this cause to my attention? My osteopathic doctor, Rostislav Bilchenko, who used to be a doctor in Kharkiv. These are his ex-colleagues doing what they're doing. And this is the right time to speak about, about trust. Because when I started this, I said, who is going to give me money if I don't give donation receipts? Like, I'm not a charity. How do they know me? 
And you know how it was? A friend of mine, Daryl Wood, she's a motivational coach. She just said, Olga, how can I help? I said, I need money for Ukraine. And she just sent me $100, no questions asked, right? And I started saying this to everyone. People say, how can I help? You can send money to Ukraine and save lives. Sure. And, you know, we collected $10,010. Congratulations. Thank you. $10,000. Actually, I'm, I'm lying. $12,000. $12,000. When, when did you start? When did you start collecting money? Mm, I, I was sending my own money. So on March 2. So it's been, it's been 20 days. Wow. It's been 20 days. And 39 people who, who felt for Ukraine, who had empathy for Ukraine, they opened their heart and gave us the money to send right there to the elderly, to, to the people in the hospital, to the doctors who don't give up and don't go away. These doctors could have just gone yeah. from Kharkiv, yeah. but they didn't. And when you tell us on the podcast here what $100 buys, it goes a very, very long way. So can you describe then for me, Olga, how it works? So let's say, and I'm definitely a donor, as soon as we finish our podcast, I'm sending you something. If I send you $100, tell me the traveling route of this money. Like it goes from you to where, and then how do the doctors get it out of the bank? Okay, so uh, depends uh, what project we are working with. So currently the doctors need medic- medications that they cannot procure in Ukraine. So we are collecting money here in Canada. We're going to buy medication in U- in Canada and ship them by the company called MIST. It's a Ukrainian company that sent humanitarian and other uh, parcels to Ukraine. That's how we're going to do it this time. Uh, another time, my friend uh, Rostislav and Irina, whom I told you about, they were collecting sleeping bags because the hospital had all these people from around the hospital had no sleeping bags, no nothing. So people collected sleeping bags. I wasn't a part of it. I just joined recently. And uh, now we are collecting $15,000. People send them to my uh, account by e-transfer. I have uh, e-transfer uh, to the email olga.helpukraine, as one word, olga.helpukraine at gmail.com. And people send me, they can ask me any questions they want, and they can tell me uh, what cause they want the money to go to. They want to send it to the elderly, I will send them to the elderly. Uh, For the elderly, I have a swift transfer, a transfer to my mom's cart in Ukraine, and then I can donate this money to to the fund. For the hospital, right now we need money in Canada. And for the volunteers who protect Kharkiv and Kiev, there are Multiple ways you can send money to me, I can send to them. I can give you their SWIFT uh, numbers. They actually have USD accounts and you can help them directly. I would ask that anybody listening who's so inclined, because you were right. And when I first was introduced to you, Olga, you're like, who's actually just going to give me money when I can't give them a charitable receipt for it? But the answer is the people who care, care. the people who feel your stories, the heartbreak, the crisis that's going on in your country, and the children that are being injured and killed for absolutely no reason whatsoever. So 
definitely we will be asking people at the end to donate to you if they feel they want to or to reach out to you to ask questions or whatever they would like to do. How long do you think this is going to go on for, Olga? Oh, you know, I'm optimistic. Many people are not optimistic. I'm optimistic. Okay. First of all, we know Ukraine is not going to give up. We know this. Because in towns that Russians took over, they brought in humanitarian aid and they wanted people on a camera to take that aid. Hungry people are not taking the food. Hungry people are going with Ukrainian flags against the tanks. So at first they didn't shoot at them. Now they shoot at them and put the tear gas and people keep coming out with Ukrainian flag. So they are, they are exhausted as well. They don't need this war. So I think within a month or two, I hope, you know, they will just run out of uh, supplies and with the help of sanctions, this war is going to be stopped. That's what I'm hoping for. Some people think it's going to take longer. And I, and I'm afraid for people who will be forgotten because people will be move will move on to new causes. They will be tired of watching this endless destroyed apartment buildings on TV, right? And uh, I think we need to keep the help going. I agree. And the way we do it, the way we do it, I call it a, in my head. I call it the chain of trust. We are not naive. No. We're not naive, you know, to anybody who cries on Ukrainian side, we're going to send them money. No. It's a chain of trust. You know, uh, your friend Nancy knows my mom. My mom knows me. And I know this volunteer. I would be paranoid to take somebody else's money and for this money not to go where they should go. And Nancy knows this. Yeah. And people who know her, they trust her. And this way we, we have this little chain of trust of every link is a person who cares. Yes. It's a beautiful visual, Olga. And it is also absolutely, I know Nancy. Nancy and I have known each other for the better part of 15 to 20 years. I would give Nancy $100. And Nancy said, I would give Olga $100. And so we know that it's it's needed, it's valued, it's trusted, and it's going directly into the hands of the people that need it the most. Yes, yes. And you know, there is no administrative fee or anything like that. I pay my own money for the transfer. I have skin in the game. You know, I was connected with an amazing person, Avram Rosenzweig. He he uh, is from Jewish community. He's been raising money for uh, some causes around the world. He talked to me. He helped me understand, besides donating money to me, he helped me understand how how do people do it, how how to talk to people, because I, I felt, actually, I'm on adrenaline right now. I am completely shameless. If you tell me, Olga, you know, I feel so bad about Ukraine. You know what I'm going to say? Thank you so much, Marilyn, and you can help. Exactly. Because it's great for everyone to feel badly. But if you're not doing anything about it, then, then, then put your money where your mouth is. Right. And people tell me, Olga, I don't know how you sleep because I don't sleep. I said, you know what? I sleep now. I sleep because I wake up in the morning. I check my email. 
I check the news from Ukraine and I send the money and I know I saved a life. Yes, absolutely. You sent me a beautiful video and a couple of pictures of your granddaughters, Cecilia (laughs) and Grace. They went to a protest in front of the Russian embassy in Toronto. And Grace, who is age five, said, no one's going to listen to me because I'm too small, but I will go tell them what I feel anyway. Isn't this beautiful? This is like the embodiment of the Ukrainian spirit in this five-year-old little girl. Yes, it is. She she said it so matter-of-factly. She said, ah, nobody's going to listen to me, but I'll go do it anyway. And and Sissy said, you know, I want to help. She's been to Ukraine. They've been to Ukraine. She wants to help, and we're too little to help. And I said, well, you can you can write what you feel about it. And they wrote their own signs. We hate this war, wrote Sissy. And no war, wrote Grace. And, and, and they went with me, and they were screaming, no fly zone, no fly zone. And you know what? I hope it's a valuable lesson for them in this. I got to tell you that 20 years from now, those little girls, they'll be able to describe to you to a T exactly what kind of an impact attending that rally and making their own signs and understanding what's going on in the Ukraine, what kind of a difference that has made in their life and how it's formed them going forward. And and the fact that they're born here, I you know, as you can see, I'm wearing Vishivanka, which is Ukrainian shirt, which I also wear these days a lot. And and they brought Vishivankas from Ukraine as well. They're half Ukrainian, these girls. They're quarter French, they're quarter Cree. And uh, um, they don't speak Ukrainian with exception of uh, Slava Ukraini, Heroem Slava, and maybe a couple more words, but they care. And What Grace said is important for all of us. I'm a small person too. I am just one person. I mean, that's what happened to Diana Makarova in 2014. She put all her money into this black hole and it wasn't enough. So she started asking people for the money. And the difference that made for so many people was dramatic. And the same, the other volunteer in Kharkiv, Roman Donik, he's also there since 2014. Very practical. You know, these are the guys who support territorial defense. They buy the generators. They repurpose the cars into mobile military units. These people don't have any administration fees. Diana is living in in a car because she had to evacuate from the place where she was living. But these people put everything, everything on the line. And uh, the least we can do is to put some skin in the game and, and, and help them. And when we go to bed, we know, you know, we saved a life, more than a life. We saved several lives today, which I think is very, very important because we live in a safe country. I mean, when you speak about women and bravery here, is somebody spoke up at work. She spoke yeah. up about her position or about some injustice. This type of bravery, when you don't know whether you're going to come back alive, and when Ukraine is sending buses through humanitarian corridor, they know that those humanitarian corridors are going to be bombed. These people know. 
and they go there anyway to save other people. And that gives me faith. With everything wrong in me the too. world and with everything bad and with everything negative, that spirit, that love, that faith, that caring for another human being. You know what Avram, Avram told me? He said, I think that when the sum of good is bigger than the sum of evil, that's when the good will prevail. And we're just adding a little bit to the sum of good, you know, and, and hoping for the good to prevail. It will prevail, but how many lives will be lost in the process? That, that's a question. Um, Olga, are the banks charging you fees to, like, is there, is there something we should be saying to the banks at this point saying, hey, stop that, don't charge Olga fees? Because it sounded like some of the people that you're using, like SWIFT, maybe not any fees. SWIFT, very little, very little. Okay. I, was, I was surprised. But if you transfer from your Visa card, which is the same day, right now, right there, it's considered a cash advance. And I paid $122 for $1,000 plus okay. interest later, which I didn't know about, which I now know about. But right now, when we know that the war is not finishing in two days, SWIFT transfer does it. PayPal transfer does it. Um, PayPal fees, PayPal just entered Ukraine just a couple of days ago. My friend already has PayPal, but we haven't tested how much they charge. But the SWIFT pass and Western Union, Western Union completely waived all the fees with exception of conversion, currency conversion rate. Right, right. Yeah. What have we not talked about, Olga, that's important for you to, what message have I not asked you about or what else did you hope to say today that maybe I've missed or haven't thought of? I think there is a message which is an elephant in the room in a Russian-speaking community. This is something we didn't talk about. And this is alternative reality. There is alternative reality out there on one-sixth of the world where Ukrainians are bombing themselves. The Nazis and Bandera followers in Ukraine, you know, are bombing their own people. These people are being used as a life uh, shield. Russia only bombed the military objects and the biolabs. And Ukrainians in those biolabs are producing special viruses to contaminate the birds that are flying from the south back to Russia. So now they're killing pigeons in Russia, you know, because they kind of fly through Ukraine. (laughs) In this world, Ukrainians are bombing humanitarian corridors. Uh, They are selling the parts, the organs of Russian soldiers. Where is this? Where is this coming from? This is all in Russia. This is what 80% of people believe. And they actually believe it. They actually believe it. When you talk to them, they're like, how about eight years of bombing Donetsk and Donbass? How about the child that was put on a cross? I said, that child is in Wikipedia as a sign of propaganda, propaganda of style. My mom, who is Russian, she said, I want to forget that I'm Russian, but my conscience doesn't let me. Mm. My grandmother and grandfather retired from the military in Soviet Union into Western Ukraine, and that's where I was born. 
Mm-hmm. So my mom lived there for 30 years. She's never seen one Nazi. She's never seen one Bandera follower. Bandera is a, a nationalistic uh, hero from a Second World War. He was in Ukraine. He's a hero. In Russia, he is not. Uh, he was both against Nazi and against the Soviet Union. So it's like a head of nationalistic movement. So my mom says, I've lived there right in the thick of it. I've never seen one Bandera follower. I've never seen one Nazi. The president of Ukraine is Jewish. What are you talking about? But these people do. And they talk to Canadians. And I can see some Canadians, especially uh, conservative Canadians who don't like Justin Trudeau for something, like they voted for somebody else. So no matter what Justin Trudeau is doing, obviously it's bad. And he's helping Ukraine. Hmm, It means this is bad. So I'm seeing them being brainwashed and polluting the minds of people around them. That's horrible. Because at the end of the day, we all deserve to know the truth. But I guess that's not the world we're necessarily living in. But that's why I'm thrilled to have you to speak the truth. You're talking to people in the Ukraine every day. Every day. And I see these pictures, like the um, official channel posts a picture of a bridge in Irpin, which collapsed. And under the collapsed bridge, imagine a lot of people And in front of them are Ukrainian troops, right? And people are hiding under the bridge from the shelling. Okay, that's a picture that we see in Ukraine every day. Two hours later, the same picture appears in the Russian media saying, this is a bridge in Mariupol, not Irpin. Uh, Ukrainians bombed it and they're using people as a life shield and they're not opening humanitarian corridor and not letting all these women and children out. This is a type of person that Vladimir Putin is. He is a liar. It's not misinformation or disinformation. It's a lie of cosmic proportion. Oh. And it happens every day. All these eight years it's been happening. And that's why people are like, we need to, to make a preventative strike to Ukraine to protect us from the biolabs and from NATO. They're doing preventative strikes. Every time people ask me, that's probably the most common sentiment when people tell me about somebody else being bombed, they said, how did my grandma was a part of Biolab? It's ridiculous. It's wrong. It's lies. The good will prevail, Olga. We will make sure the truth and the good prevails. So thank you. I'm glad I asked because because I have not heard that because maybe I'm not traveling in the circles where this lying is going on. So I wasn't aware. And just like the advisor of a president of Ukraine, Alexei Aristovich, said on the radio, he said, you know, let's remember that we are people. Let's remember that we should treat prisoners of war the same way we treat our people. Let's remember that we're not going to call for Russian children to be killed. Let's remember we are part of Geneva Convention. You know, let's remember all of that and stay people normal people, humans, and not return with the same. And that's why I want to ask people here, because there are reports of Russian children being bullied because they're Russian. Don't bully those children. You know, they have nothing to do with uh, Putin's regime, nothing to do with with this. You know, we, we shouldn't do that. We should all, Russian, Ukrainian, it doesn't matter. If you believe the war is wrong, We should help the people to stop the war. Exactly. So let's circle back on that, Olga, again. So just before we wrap up, 
how can people help you? I know you've said it once, but just in case we have people dropping in and out in terms of listening, how is the best way for people to help you? The best way is to send an e-transfer to my email address. My email address is olga, O-L-G-A, dot help Ukraine, one word, at gmail.com. And say whether you care which causes goes to. If you are really passionate about helping elderly, say, I'm going to send it directly to the elderly and you will receive some report. Reports are not super detailed these days because everybody's on a war. In 2014, we used to receive all the receipts and every hryvna spent. But now we just know that the money went to, you know, save some people from the shelling in Irpin or for food packages or for territorial defense. And, and, and that's enough for us. Absolutely. At this point, Olga, taking time to do the administrative work is not where where it's going to help anybody. The money needs to go to the people and the places where it's needed on the ground right yeah. now to make right a difference. Now. Right now. And what I was in my in my dream, I mean, even if this doesn't go more than for two months, you know, people's houses are destroyed. People's family connection, they tear it apart. People have nowhere to live, to sleep on, and things like that. There's going to be a huge humanitarian crisis, which has already started, but it's going to continue. And if people can commit to sending 50 or $100 every month to the elderly in Kiev, you know, this way the volunteers can always count on this money. They know that they can always cover these people and certain amount of elderly are going to have okay living conditions. Yeah. But overall, uh, President Zelensky, I think, put a very good framework in terms of uh, how to help business to keep hiring people, how to help people who um, who want to work when they left their own place and they settled in Western Ukraine. Um, they are putting uh, together a framework of recovery and how they're going to recover all this infrastructure on all the buildings, everything. And he is pretty good going around the world and reminding people that we need help. They need military help, to be quite honest. We need sky to be closed so that these planes cannot drop the bomb. But in the absence of that, today marks the day when we took down a plane number 100. 100 planes. In 20-something days, yeah, 24 days. <laughs> it's sad. There were stories of some of these um, pilots having grandma in Zaporizhia or mom in Kharkiv, and they go and, and, and they actually bomb the cities. I don't know what kind of conscience. But then when you look at, at what they face, if they say no, then it's 20 years of Russian jail, so you have to choose. But if you ask me, I would rather choose a jail and not killing people rather than killing people and, and living with this. Agreed. Well, Olga, bless you for every single thing you are doing. One starfish at, at a, a time. time. Yes, one starfish at a time. And we will support you. And we will donate to you, anybody who feels that they would like to reach out and talk to you, get to know you, ask questions, whatever they want to do. 
This has been a tremendous education for me personally, and I am assuming for the world who is listening. Thank you for coming on Breaking Brave. Thank you for being so brave. We're all with you, and I'd like to have you come back. Come on back and let's talk about how we can continue to help you. Thank you, Marilyn. It's it's been uh, a very humbling experience for me to to see how Canadians around me reacted to this and how they say thank you to me for taking their money and for allowing them to help these people. So I I want to say God bless everybody who helps. We are currently collecting $15,000. We only have two for the Kharkiv Hospital. If anybody wants to contribute to that, I will translate this long list of supplies that the hospital needs. Maybe somebody knows where to buy them cheaper, right? And um, think about thousands of Ukrainian Ladies, and when I say Ukrainians, they don't necessarily Ukrainian like they speak Ukrainian. They were born in Ukraine. They can be Azerbaijani, Georgian, Russian, doesn't matter. But they feel Ukraine is home and they are not passing by and leaving their people to suffer alone. If any of these people ask you for help, consider that. Consider that. Absolutely. Thank you again, Olga. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure and really appreciated this chance. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time. <laughs>